Robin Williams, <laughs> Shelley Duval, in Popeye. I said fui, and I mean fui. Fui. Shama people, and welcome to our 220th episode of Happiness and Darkness, the superhero movie podcast, where we discuss superhero movies from Marvel, DC, Dark Horse Image, and more. Naturally, there will be spoilers, folks, so you have been warned. I am one of your hosts, DJ Nick, and as always, joining me is my podcasting partner in crime and wonderful friend, Mr. Keith Bliss. Hey, Keith, how are you today? I can't complain. It's Wednesday, which is kind of weird because we normally record on Tuesday, so my entire week is just flown completely out of whack. So, I don't know, by the time we're done, it's going to be Thursday. Otherwise, I'm doing fantastic. <laughs> well, definitely appreciate your flexibility indeed, Keith. And always wonderful, of course, to, to have you on any podcast that, that uh, you know that I'm on, of course. And, of course, returning today, Keith, you and I are not alone, as returning to the podcast is Mr. Greg Vorob. Hey, Greg, how are you? And welcome back. I'm great. Thanks for having me. It's it's kind of refreshing to be on a non-Batman episode. Um, and also uh, was so happy that you, you ran this episode by me because this film that we're going to be talking about was a major part of my childhood. Ooh, okay. I will openly admit that this is the first time I ever, ever sat down to watch this because I didn't even know this movie existed, folks. So it was definitely a first time for me, but we'll see how I felt about it. But today, of course, we are discussing Popeye from 1980, directed by Robert Altman. Yes, that Robert Altman. The screenplay was by Jules Pfeiffer, while the score was by Henry Nilsson. Alnesmet's put in today's money adjusted for inflation, this movie cost $74 million to make and made $224 million at the box office. So it did really well. So I guess then getting to general impressions, then Greg, as you are our guest today, now having now rewatched uh, Popeye so many years later, what do you make of this movie? Okay, well, um, the nostalgia factor was there. I was very interested in watching this again, and that had to do with the fact that I would watch this as a child completely mesmerized. So between the ages of 2 and 10, I watched this movie at least once a year. Um, it was Popeye, and I was a Popeye fan growing up. Um, I, I had the Popeye Atari game, which was basically a copy of Donkey Kong, except uh, Mario was Popeye and Donkey Kong was Bluto and the princess was uh, was olive oil. Um, Popeye was major in my household, major with my dad. We bonded through Popeye. Um, so I was very interested in watching this, especially that over the years I had heard this movie. I didn't know it grossed that much, actually. Um, but I know that over the years, it, it's not a movie that people consider their favorite, except for remembering how iconic Robin Williams's performance was. Um, so I do know that this movie was made because of Annie. Annie was doing really well, uh, or they got the rights to Annie. It was something to do with Annie. Paramount and Robert Evans, who was the head of Paramount at the time, uh, jumped at, okay, what franchise do we have that we can make a musical out of? Popeye. So what do I think now of watching Popeye? Okay, so the nostalgia factor was there. That was great. But let me remove myself from that. I thought the performances, wonderful. The cinematography, wonderful. The songs, wonderful. In fact, I had the soundtrack album, Sweet Haven, was, was a classic, at least in my household. Um, I'm mean kids all these songs i grew up with and listened to the album over and over it was a pleasure to see now as as, as i know more stuff how well the film was done and i would say that th this is an admirable film for many many reasons but not a great film there is something missing from it that you know i might have recalled more about it i know that people in my age group who grew up with this film all remember it fondly. It's not about not remembering it fondly. It's that something is missing in this film. I don't know whether or not, wh whether anybody can put their finger on it, but it's, you know, 
musical numbers, which, you know, and I'm not a musical guy, even though one of my favorite movies, probably one of my top 10 movies is the Blues Brothers. Um, I've never been much into musicals, just not my cup of tea. But I remember all the songs from Popeye. I remember Robin Williams' performance. I knew nothing. I remembered nothing else about this movie. And I don't necessarily think there isn't a reason for that. I think that it hits so many notes except for being interesting, if that makes sense. Um, except for a compelling plot. Um, I, I mean, you could take any plot. I mean, it's about him looking for his father. And, and you could take that and do something with it to make it amazing. Otherwise, it, it's flat. It's got much to enjoy and appreciate about it, but unfortunately falls short of being what it could have been. Well, very good points indeed. And also, I mean, I was surprised that I'd never heard of this, seeing how, you know, what a stacked cast we had, of course, you know, Robin Williams in his prime, Robert Altman, who five years before this with Nashville had been nominated for Best Picture as a director with Nashville. So, and of course, you know, Shelley Duvall and everybody else is in this. So it's it's a pretty stacked cast. And I'm amazed I had I did not know of this movie's existence. And Keith, what did you make of this one? Um, rewatching it was definitely a challenge. I remember it completely differently as a child. I don't remember there being as many musical numbers in this movie as there was. Um, that being said, the cast is very funny. They play well off of each other. I think they did a good job with the script. It reminds me very much of another movie we just recently reviewed, Dick Tracy, where the cast is just stacked and you do not realize who's in it until you watch it and you're like, hey, there's that guy. Oh, wait, there's this. Wait a minute. there's And then you see that a lot of these um, actors were early on in their career or kind of in that weird spot where they're just like, hey, what are you doing this weekend? Yeah, you know, nothing. All right, let's go to um, Italy and make a movie. Sounds like a plan. And they just bang out a movie. This very much is like Waterworld in the respect that it gets so much crap and it gets all kinds of you know, booze and hatred, but then you go back and watch it and you're like, wow, it's a, it's a good movie or a decent movie. I am in agreement with Greg where it's, it's missing something. I, I couldn't tell you what, but there is just something. The, the chemistry is there with the cast, but I don't know if it's just the scripts could have been flushed out a little bit more or something, but it, it if they were to remake this, which I hope they never do, I, I think that they could add to the dynamic and maybe take he, out like 17 of the musical numbers. If, if I may say something, uh, I'm sorry to cut you off. I, I think what it's missing is substance. I, I think yes. that it's, yeah, it's, it's, there's no stakes in yeah, the no, plot. No, that's fair. Right. Yeah. 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 If Popeye never showed up to our island, that the world would keep spinning. If he does, it keeps spinning. There's just no, Exactly. No repercussions. There's no nothing. Like there's nothing to gain. There's nothing to lose. Like if he didn't, you know, stop and pick up that baby, he still would have, you know, wandered off and eventually maybe found his dad. So, you know, it is that that's a fair, you know, they need like a giant asteroid or like a tsunami or something to come and crash into their little island. And then like, okay, now I feel stressed and concerned and I hope they all survive. I, I think you guys both make some great points there when it comes to the fact that do we care about what is going on in this movie? Because, you know, we never sort of really feel that any of our characters are particularly in jeopardy. Granted, no. I don't know where that was the movie that Altman wanted to make in the sense that I'm a huge fan of Altman's Nashville. To me, it's one of the best um, movies about country music. And dare I say about music in general from the 70s, from 1975, it was, as I mentioned, nominated for best movie. And it is, it was so compelling. I appreciate the sarcasm. I appreciate the irony and just um, Altman's criticism on the music industry at the time, which still rings true today, even more so, I dare say, when it comes to the country music world, me working within country music, I, f I found it so relatable. And I was like, Altman really has his finger on the pulse when it comes to this particular movie. Compared to another one, which I know, of course, was huge for, for him and then for TV was MASH. I did not get that movie, just like I did not get Popeye, in the sense that the humor almost seemed to go over my head. In the sense that while I was watching this, 
it has that slapsticky nature of certain scenes you get in MASH as well. And it almost seemed like Altman wanted to do the same thing that he did with MASH when it came to this one. And just like MASH, it just did not work for me. At least the comedic stuff. I didn't find myself laughing or splitting my sides when things happen. I guess it's also because I'm not a, um, a fan of slapstick comedy. And so I'm like, okay, ah, the guy get, gets punched and then does 58 somersaults. I get it. It's, it's, it's supposed to be funny, but it just didn't make me laugh. I was entertained with what I watched for the most part, but at the same time, like, when is this movie going to be over? What's the, the deal here? Because we kind of start with it. It's also very random when it comes to just the way things happen. Like when, when Popeye and Olive find uh, Sweet Pea, they just randomly adopt this kid. And it's just, it, as I mentioned before, it's very random. Maybe in this case, what, what Altman and his writers were trying to do was literally take the comic strips of Popeye and do a mashup of some of the stories that we'd gotten on paper and literally bring them to life. And for the most part, they are, you do feel like these guys just popped out of a comic book. So in that case, I would say mission accomplished. But I do agree. The story in itself, you're like, oh, wow, when he finally finds his dad, you're like, yay, he did it. Or when they find, when they go treasure hunting randomly again uh, to, and, and they discover that inside there's, in the, the chest, there's nothing but spinach and photos and what have you. Like, okay. And then the random fight with the, with the octopus, it just seemed very, very sort of, very strange and very weird. But then again, another thing that Altman does enjoy doing is giving us this weird kind of tongue-in-cheek humor. And I guess he kind of did this with Popeye as well. When it came to music, I enjoy musicals for the most part. I did not find myself humming any of the songs by the end of the movie, aside from the classic Popeye the Sailor Man, which of course I knew before this film. The one that might have maybe stayed in my head a little bit was I Mean. But the other ones... They didn't really, uh, usually I think if a, if a musical is successful, at least you know, in my honest opinion, I've never written a hit winning song, so who am I to judge? But the, it just, I did not find myself humming any of them because usually when I watch a musical, the next day I'll be humming or singing the, one of the main songs for days on end. And that did not happen when it came to this one. So I was not particularly um, captivated by the songs, but all in all, I saw what they were trying to do and, for the most part, I think Altman being the, the great director he is, was able to salvage what could have been a real, real mess. So I'd say it was half a mess. It, it could have been really, really bad. This, I would say, is kind of he was able to salvage some things and also helps that we have some rather accomplished actors in this film. So I was happy about that. And one final thing I wanted to add when it came to this, it made me smile that uh, Alitalia was thanked when it came to this film, as I assume our Italian airline, which I now is called Ita Airways, I assume flew every, everybody over to Malta where this film was shot. And of course, Malta is a beautiful, beautiful place. And, and of course, it's showcased throughout this movie. So I did appreciate that. So I will, I will give them kudos for that. So uh, let's get to our characters on the board here, starting with our sailor man and the woman who would become his partner in life. We have the legendary late, great Robin Williams as Popeye. And of course, Shelley Duval as Olive Oil. So, Keith, starting with you, your thoughts on Popeye and Olive? Um, I, I just want to point out the fact that Robin Williams was jacked for his age when this movie. It, it kind of cracked me up to see him that in shape and fit. I think those they were actually, fake arms, though. <laughs> well, I hope so because that's you, know, yeah. you might want to see a doctor's <laughs> arm. But I mean. Otherwise, the chemistry between the two characters was very good. I think the awkwardness that they had to kind of force, because you know Robin Williams, he tends to get along with everybody. So they, I feel like they had to like force a little extra awkwardness amongst themselves because there were scenes where you could see that, like it was forced awkward, and then other scenes where, like where they almost kiss, that just seemed very natural and organic for those types of characters. I, I think the parts were written very well. Olive oil. Did get a little grating at times. I, I will say this, and I think it's more so because they just didn't understand her character from, say, the comic strips and the old cartoons, and they just wanted to kind of, you know, ramp up her awkwardness to like an eleven, where her singing style is always off key, which does it makes me chuckle thinking about it, but listening to it, you, you, I wanted to, you know, ice pick my earlobes, but you know that's a whole different issue. 
Um, I, I think, if anything, the characters could have used a little more development. They just kind of like throw you right in, where you're like, okay, here's this dude paddling a boat from who the heck knows where to some rando island, and then there's a girl who's about to get married. I feel like, you know, we're at that point in you know our, our cinema universes where we expect a little more substance as we've mentioned a few times already before with these characters opposed to just like wham bam and we're off and do whatever so yeah all in all it's a fun watch once every decade or two oh a good point i mean would you have maybe have preferred like say more of a popeye origin story if you will <sighs> something a little bit more of yeah, I guess it would have to be a bit more of an origin or with two of them. They just kind of gloss over like, okay, he's this kid who was abandoned and he's now however old he's supposed to be in this uh, movie, but you have no idea how he got from being abandoned to this point in his life. Um, he's clearly seen some shit because he, he makes these weird like off comments about things and you know he has this very strong moral compass, which is you know, very admirable for this type of character, especially for when it was written and when it, he was, you know, actually produced and made into a movie. So, you know, some of that would have been nice to be, you know, flushed out in terms of maybe full origin. I don't know, maybe more of like a flashback montage sequence, which is one of my least favorite things in a movie. But, you know, if it helps fill in the blanks a little bit more, that'd be great. Yeah, because of course we know your distaste for prequels, Keith. So uh, that's why I, I, it's fairly well documented. So you know, if I change my mind now, everyone's gonna think I'm weird and I'm possessed and there's an alien or something. <laughs> well, see, one thing we appreciate you is your consistency. You're definitely very consistent when it comes to your thoughts and and, and likes and wants. And uh, Greg, what did you make of our two leads? Well, let me say first, uh, in my household, at least, uh, the soundtrack was a, a regular album that my dad and I would play. And uh, when Sweet Haven opens the film, I mean, that I remembered fondly. That I couldn't wait for. That was like, oh, Sweet Haven is coming. And I would hum along with it. The songs, yeah, they're not great. But I guess just, I don't know whether it was just my household or everybody loved the songs of Popeye. So, but but yet, while I love the songs, again, nothing so compelling about them. I guess they just hit me as a child that made it great. It was I was going to say uh, to add, and I am going somewhere with this when it comes to Popeye and olive oil, uh, is that it was sort of like a show that would open. It could even open on Broadway, but not run that long. Uh, it That's was true. like you were watching a really really great community theater production because there were some things i can't say that i wasn't entertained so when it comes to popeye and olive oil it was one of the things that makes me appreciate the film and not you know because this film was so close to like literally sucking i mean the film could have really been a flintstones you know but i use that as a segue because I don't even want to use the original Flintstones. I want to use the disastrous prequel sequel that came after it with the Flintstones and Viva Rock Vegas. And I'm, I, you know, I was a huge Flintstones fan, just as I was a huge Popeye fan as a child. And when I was watching Viva Rock Vegas, I was thinking the same thing I was when I was watching Popeye. They nailed the look of the, the, the it really popped out of the cartoon to film. And that's what happened with Popeye, the comic strip. Keith, I don't know, you might want to watch some Popeye cartoons now that you've seen the film and see that they really didn't dial olive oil back way too much. It was always like that, I feel. So I feel that Robin Williams and Shelley Duvall, and with the production design and the costume design too, I have to give kudos to, because the look of it, it's Popeye. And when it comes to the costumes, when it comes to all the actors and all their parts, maybe except for one which we'll get to, um, Robin Williams and Shelley Long nail these two characters. Shelley Long was born to play Olive Oil. And Robin Williams, I understand a lot of those muttering to himself things was wonderful improvisation, from what I understand. And he really, I mean, he's acting mostly with his face. I think, I don't, I, I, I would be wrong to assume that that was 100% his face doing the eye and that he did it. But I know that he, they said they needed not a lot to transform him into Popeye. So I thought they nailed the characters. I thought they were right out of the comic strips and the comics and the cartoons. 
And that's one of the things that was compelling about it. And that was really fun to watch is, uh, is, and all the, the joint, uh, cast and crew that brought those characters to life. So I give them kudos on that to say, Hey, those are, it's one of the saving graces of the film that makes it watchable possibly in another 20 years <laughs> again. I very much agree in the sense, I think when you have such talented people working on your movie, it very much saves your film because I, in this case, at least because you there are movies where you have a star studded cast and it just fails here. I think movie I 43. With, there you go. There you go. Um, yeah. Cause I honestly could not see anybody else play Popeye other than, than Robin Williams in the sense that he has also imitated and done Popeye so many times, even when he was doing stand up. So I can see why they would want to have him. And he was pretty much hot property at this point, you know, 1980, because I mean, people already knew who Robin was. And, you know, you get to work with a director like Robert Altman and what have you. So I, I, I very much could not see anybody else playing this character. And I, I also agree. I, I, I definitely, that's exactly the, the feeling I felt when I watched this. It seemed like I was sitting and watching a Broadway musical. Just the way it was, it just ran, if you will, just the tempo and the pacing and just the ridiculous situations that we got in and, you know, sets being destroyed, people uh, punching through glass and all this kind of stuff. And of course, the acrobatics as well, which is very musical as well, kind of remind me a little bit of the first version of West Side Story when people just randomly doing flips when they're supposed to be having a knife, a knife fight between two gangs. So it kind of felt that way too. But I will agree, having consumed a lot of Popeye cartoons as a kid it, for authenticity it was very authentic it was very true to the source material because let's be honest when you watch uh, Popeye cartoons none of them make that much sense they're very entertaining to watch and of course you're rooting for Popeye to, to chomp down on his spinach and beat up Bluto or whoever the the villain might be in that particular story and that's very much what this felt like so that side of me was very much entertained by that because, as I mentioned before, being a huge fan of Popeye as a kid when it came to cartoon and also having read the comic strips, uh, I think Altman captured the spirit of the comics, at least. So I will not fault him for that. I just felt, as I, as I mentioned before, story-wise, we could have had a little bit more. It just really seemed like we got little vignettes of short stories of this is what Popeye is doing now and this is what he's doing this time. The running thread is Popeye looking for his dad, but we're going to give you also in middle stories like the random fight he has in the ring, which doesn't go anywhere. It's just to kind of have another comedic moment with ox blood. And when that happened, I'm like, why did we need this? What was the point? And I guess it was to showcase. It almost felt like we're watching a series of Popeye episodes of, of, uh, of, the, sh of the TV show. I just didn't, I just thought you could get, you could have gotten rid of that and just had more of the main story rather than we have to take a break and we're going to have this random in the ring fight. And, and then that's that we're not going to address it ever again. It was just very, that was very strange to me. But as I mentioned before, it is Robert Altman and he does this. If you guys have seen MASH, you'll get what I mean when it comes to very random things happening in that movie. And it does have his sense of humor. I think this is what, and I, this might be saying something, uh, maybe blaspheming here, almost the way that Joel Schumacher treated Batman in the sense that Joel said uh, they're, co they're called comic books, not tragic books. And that's why he upped the ante to a million when he made them just super silly and just so ridiculous. Maybe Altman was doing the same thing with this, as in, I'm not going to treat this as a serious um project or serious movie with characters you know like Popeye being all dark and, and dismal what have you I'm gonna literally make it a living comic book so that's why I kind of it seemed to me like it's the same kind of thing that Joel Schumacher did when it came to Batman it's the same treatment that Altman gave to Popeye so I will, I will give him that and uh, kudos to Robin Williams for acting holding a pipe between his teeth throughout almost the whole film because that must not have been fun and I have a feeling his jaw might have hurt a little bit by the time the movie was over, because just to grit your teeth like that, holding the, the pipe between his, between his teeth, not many people can accomplish that and, and make it you know, look fun and actually get into the character. So very much always been a dedicated actor. And Shea Duval 
another actress who has been who was you know in so many movies other than this during this the, you know the the 70s and of course the 80s and i think she does a splendid olive oil because like you said greg even in the animated uh, t- tv show olive is so over the top she's so high strung she's so excessive she's losing those the whole help me help me help me thing and she's genuinely annoying just like olive was annoying in this one so they captured her perfectly so i think yeah these two characters very much brought these uh these 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 characters we love so much in the comics to life so i'll definitely i'll definitely give them give them a thumbs up for that the singing could probably do without it it's as bad as uh harley quinn singing in batman and harley quinn so i'm gonna just leave <laughs> it at that but yes sign you know, Nick, go ahead right yeah well, you made excellent points in that, you know, Keith said it, I said it, I, you may have alluded to it, that it's this movie is missing something. And it's missing the substance because I think what makes it so compelling is what hurts it at the same time. Because he, it's, he perfected the comic strip and the cartoon so much and bringing that to life, but you forgot to add substance to it. So it didn't mean Popeye had to become dark. But it did mean that at least you put in some kind of a conflict, you know, because it was such an, an identical Popeye cartoon and an extra long one, if, if you will. We knew and we're going to get to these characters that he was going to get olive oil. He was going to beat Bluto. Um, and we'll talk about that now as we get into the character of Bluto that, you know, you just, they left nothing to the imagination, though, and they didn't add any element of surprise. They could have, it could have been a zany comedy. You know, it could have been like Popeye meets It's a Mad, 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 Mad World, you know, but it just, it, it you know, Altman played it safe because maybe he felt, I've got such a great cast, of production design, costume design, cinematography, everything, but it wasn't enough to help the movie become quote something very very astutely put there greg i i I very much agree it could have just been altman playing it safe because like i have so many great resources why mess with them or why you know take it take it take a gamble but uh, yeah i think that's exactly what was missing was the fact that there wasn't much substance to the story but hey uh, as i said when it comes to authenticity i'll definitely give them that so uh, I guess then uh, let's move on to our next characters and round off our characters at this point by looking at our villain and our long lost father. We have Paul L. Smith as Bluto and Ray Walston as Poop Deck Pappy. So uh, Greg, starting with you, your thoughts on our villain and our daddy. Okay, well, I, I have to give, um, because he's not here, I have to give a, a shout out to Paul Dooley as Wimpy because he did just as well in bringing Wimpy to life in every aspect, the way Shelley Duvall and um, uh, and Robin Williams did. He, that was wimpy. Um, so I wanted to give him a shout out. Okay, so Bluto here is one of my problems because Bluto was a little bit more in the, in the world of Popeye, more than just a bunch of grunts. And yeah, he was the villain. Yeah, he looked, you know, bad, but there was nothing about him that, you know, of course, it's Altman playing it safe. It's a cartoon. It's not supposed to scare you, but I didn't feel any sort of. It's just like you, the minute you see him, is like, okay, there's Bluto. Been waiting for him. Popeye's gonna beat him. It was, you know, to quote the pitch meetings, it was super easy, barely an inconvenience to to everything that Bluto did in this. There was no stakes. Yeah, he kidnapped the baby. But it was basically, oh, he kidnapped the baby. Let's go get it. Okay. That was it. I mean, that, that was it. And, uh, or Bluto is doing so, or Bluto's having a temper tantrum. Stop him from having the temper tantrum. Okay. He stopped. All right. So it was just like, there's Bluto. Oh my God. He's going to do something bad. Uh, he did something minorly, uh, inconvenient. Uh, okay. Uh, he did something minorly, uh, he's, he, he's like a mosquito bite in the movie versus being a bad, big, bad, baddie so i think i mean I, that's no fault of paul smith who certainly looks like bluto but he only grunts and uh he, he wasn't very imposing you know maybe he was just this big grunty guy thing and and i think that bluto was one of the things that hurt the film he just wasn't threatening and no stakes there 
And as Pappy goes, I mean, another perfect casting. I think we did see Pappy in the cartoons and the strips. Um, I would have liked to see the sea hag in this. But anyway, back on topic. Um, she, see, she could have been a much better antagonist for it than, than Bluto or in cahoots with Bluto, the sea hag. You know, that they left her out of it. and Maybe it hurt them. So Pappy was just like Robin Williams and Shelley Duvall, but they didn't give him much to do. It's a great actor in Ray Walston. He 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 was his performance was so good and his presence was so good that you don't realize how much the character's lacking. He just wasn't written well, Pappy. He didn't you know, we finally find him, and again it's one of the problems of this movie with, Oh, you're my dad. Okay, great, the end. That was it, you know? And of course it was, You're not my son, I have no son, you're not my son, but I am your son. I never thought about it that way. Yeah, yeah, you're my son. That, these are the problems with the movie. Um, I, I, and it's it's not in the fault of, of, of the actors. It was, you know, these are how you wrote the big stakes and, and stuff. It was kind of, you know, they made the movie, it was kind of just eye candy, you know, because it is it is full of visually, it's visually, it's it's kind of stunning, I, I must say. Um, and, and really brings this world to life uh, uh, more than so many uh, uh, cartoons to film. So I give it that. Um, it's funny that you guys did Dick Tracy uh, either last week or the week before because it, it, it's similar in, in a movie to how great it looks, how great the performances were, how great the, all the design and all that to kind of a piece of fluff. Although I think I, would en I, think I enjoyed Popeye just a little bit better than I would uh, Dick Tracy, maybe because I love the character so much. So yeah, Bluto and Pappy, character-wise, kind of fall short. Uh, I think Ray Walston. I mean, I I would say his performance is you could just you could tell it had nothing to do with his performance. It was in the writing that he sings the song "Kids," which was a big that was a big song in my household. I did love that song or that rap, if you will. Um, but yeah, the, the character of Pappy and Bluto really offer nothing to make the film uh, more compelling, which it could have been. The ingredients were there, but, uh, and the souffle didn't fall, but it was kind of like in the middle. It didn't exactly fall flat, but, and it had, you know, it was edible, but, and possibly even delicious, but didn't fully rise all the way. Yeah, because I wonder, you know, um, when it comes to yeah, Jules Pfeiffer, who was, of course, the writer on this, what exactly he was he was doing. And I, I wonder also how much input, I assume quite a bit, uh, Robert Altman had with, with writing. Because as, as I said, you, you can clearly see his hand when it comes to this movie. Just like when we talked about Dick Tracy, of course, directed by Warren Beatty, another great director in his own right, actor-director, I should say, but great director in his own right. So I think also when you, you're dealing with a guy who knows how to direct a movie, your movie is not going to fail completely. There are going to be some some parts that you can salvage. And uh, like you mentioned, Greg, I think the cinematography definitely does stand out for sure. Definitely one of them. And so you can definitely see the masterful direction of somebody like Altman. Yeah, and, you know, and yeah. yeah. yeah well, ahead. I was just going to say that, yeah, I was just going to say that Jules Pfeiffer was known for, you know, Pfeiffer's people, you know, and he did plays and I think he did comedy. It's, it's like, you know, he, he's a funny humorist, you know, but I, I kind of, it kind of struck me as, you know, what if, a, a, you know, how good some of the Peanuts films are. I don't believe Charles Schulch, though, wrote the, like, he definitely had input. He was majorly creative input, but it was written by writers who had the experience in writing more of a story. You know, Jules Pfeiffer wrote some wonderful things, but it might have needed, I'm not saying he, is the reason that the movie is is a little uh, is a little flat, but it, it a great screenwriter, a great addition of a great screenwriter, especially of comedy back then. You know, if you had say a John Landis or something on this movie, you can imagine that it could have you know hit the notes that it had a hit to be a great movie. Well, there's a great name right there. I could only imagine. Had Landis yeah. been the been the man, you know, writing this or maybe even co-writing with Pfeiffer, what what could have come out of this? Because you know, as you mentioned, John Landis is another legend when it comes to to, to great screenwriting. Because yeah, the Blues Brothers, although he might have been doing the Blues Brothers at the very time, you know, mm, 
Likely, yeah, yeah. Uh, right about this time, yeah. Yeah. probably, yeah, yeah, being 1980, yeah, I, I think that was the case. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, Keith, your thoughts on Bluto and Pappy? Well, I, I can't complain too much about my favorite Martian because you know, again, he's my favorite Martian, and anybody who doesn't like Pappy, I'm gonna fight because, again, my favorite Martian. So, I, I think it was an interesting. Uh, introduction slash dynamic because he goes from like Greg said a lot of these you know scenes have some sort of whatever going on like Pappy's like you're not my son and Popeye's like yes I am and he's like okay yeah you are like literally no convincing just like hey we have the same uh, eye squint we have the same this and that and the same pipe and he turns around and is like you can't inherit a pipe which I thought would be the perfect response to somebody being his father and same thing with Bluto he's always like oh Bluto's about to do something he loses his mind and then somebody goes okay Bluto calm down he's like okay and literally it's the end of it it happens for a fraction of a second he you know yells at somebody breaks something whatever the case may be and then literally it transitions to them singing about you know or something random and then it just goes on like business as usual and that just continues on almost every scene where you have him yelling lights out and then Popeye is sitting there talking to a piece of paper and then turns the lights out and the next one is I think it's he loses his cool at the engagement party destroys the house and everybody in town is just like don't mess with Bruno he's a crazy man and meanwhile Popeye punches him once after having his spinach and he turns yellow and swims away. So it's just, it's very almost anticlimactic. He's this big bad that essentially you, you punched him in the nose kind of sort of hard and he's like, nope. And he runs away with his tail between his legs and end of story. So, and which to be fair, if you watch many of these cartoons that they're in, it's a lot of that. It's, you know, them kind of fighting-ish or showing off, I would say, more than fighting. And then one goes a little too far, and then Popeye has his, you know, invulnerability can of super spinach and whatever. He turns into the Incredible Hulk and puts him in his place, and then literally the next episode comes rolling around, and Bluto's back at it again. And then Popeye has his Hulk juice and then slaps him around a little bit. And at no point, like, did like, either one of these characters learn their lesson. It just continues on and that's kind of what's represented in the show or sorry movie is Bluto does some dumb crap next day it's like okay and it kind of resets the day and then so on and so forth and eventually Popeye slaps him around a little bit he learns his lesson and he swims off with his tail between the legs it's, it's very boring uh, I'm gonna no other way of saying that uh, I, I think they're again this is, goes back to you know just meat and potatoes of a story there could have been a little bit more plot development you know the father talks about how he had to do some really sketchy stuff and winds up getting captured by the g-men which made me chuckle because that comment hasn't aged very well um and he spent time in jail okay that again you know a flashback or some sort of something just to kind of show you know the crap that pop pappy has seen and how we got to him being the commodore because they just make reference to this Commodore figure, and then you come to find out it's this crotchety old man sitting in a boat with like 800 tons of spinach, which you know is kind of weird, but hey, whatever. So the dude's been literally living on spinach for the last two or three decades. That's all he's eaten. The guy should be green at this point. But whatever. It, you know, it, it it's fun to watch and to dissect and look at these characters. I think it was a good casting for both of them. They played Pappy very well. You know, my favorite Martian. He played everything he does. He does a really good job. In. And you know, he's he's one of those types of actors. He kind of jumps into it feet first and runs. He's very much a Rob Williams style of actor. Not necessarily with the comedy aspect of it, with the ad libbing, but just in terms of how he plays the character. He is the perfect kind of Pappy. They play off each other very well, especially with the little snarky comments and the timing. That you only certain people have that type of comedic skill and have the timing to kind of play off of each other like that in such quick succession. So I, I'm I'm glad they got him to do that. Bluto could have honestly been any generic big dude. 
I'm just going to be honest. The one song that he sings, I'm pretty sure he didn't even sing it because at no point did you see him singing. He's just breaking shit. And they keep panning to other people in the, the restaurant while he's singing. He's like, I'm mean, I'm angry. I'm blah, blah, blah. And like, that's all you see. But you don't see him singing like you do many of the other cast members in this movie. It's, it's very true. I mean, because, you know, knowing Bluto from the, the strips and, of course, from the uh, the TV show, he's much craftier than this in the sense that uh, he's kind of like almost Wiley Coyote, if you will, when it comes to to uh, to his relationship with Popeyes. And he always comes up with these incredibly complicated plans to kind of do something, mess around with Popeye. Here, it was just very, very simple. I mean, you know, granted, he does have an entire town under his thumb because of this deal, I suppose, he's made with the Commodore, a.k.a. Pappy, where, and the tax man, of course, because all the money that these, these weird, crazy taxes um, are, are put on all go to Bluto. So he very much owns the town. So I suppose if you look at it that way, he literally is like the mob boss of, of, of Sweet Haven where everybody kind of has to kowtow to Bluto because he, he owns the, the town. If you do something wrong, he will literally send a tax man over to literally tax the heck out of you and, and just reap all the profits. That's why I would have kind of liked to have um, understood more about the relationship that Bluto had with Pappy initially, because they talk about the, the treasure, of course. So I'm wondering, while Bluto is raking in all this money under the, the guise of saying it's the Commodore that uh, you know, I take orders from the Commodore, and so therefore you guys have to do what I say. There isn't that really isn't explored when it comes to the, this movie because once we meet the Commodore, aka Pappy, it's all about the Bluto and Pappy fighting over the treasure. Who's going to get the treasure? Where? How are we going to get to it? And all this kind of thing. And you wonder why they why they hadn't got to that sooner. I suppose it was because of the fact of. Um, I think Sweet Peter, to an extent, was involved because he knew where to go and what have you. But other than that, and yes, Bluto does kidnap a baby, so there is that. But uh, yeah, and then randomly, while they're having this, they're having this sort of final. Like, yeah, we're buddies. Bluto's happily tying Pappy up and then leaves. So I'm like, okay. And there's actually a moment when Popeye is coming down the stairs to the lower decks of the ship. You, he, Bluto is literally there and Popeye doesn't see him. Now I get it. It's, um, it's supposed to be comedic. It's literally out of the comics. So Popeye would not see Bluto right there. But I'm like, okay, fine. And yeah, and their showdown, I would have expected a little bit more because the showdown is mainly between Popeye and the octopus rather than Bluto because they would see Bluto literally swim away and turn yellow. It's like, okay, very funny. Ha ha, he's a coward. Okay, fine. But uh, the characters themselves, yes, Bluto, I agree, did way too much grunting in this. It was really getting annoying, the whole mm, thing. I was like, okay, I get it. You're constantly angry. And you even write a song about it and sing about it saying, I literally killed myself in a dream. That's how mean I am. Do some mean stuff, dude. Other than, of course, breaking windows and, and stuff, just do something more i guess yeah the the word of the, of the day is substantial do something that makes you think wow this guy really is as mean as he says and not just like i'm the town bully he felt more as the town bully than oh wow this guy is somebody you don't want to mess with and he really seemed like a bit of an oaf a bit of a dumb oaf who didn't really have the kind of crafty cleverness that, uh, that bluto has when it comes to as I mentioned before, the source material. But I think uh, Paul L. Smith, other than that, did did what he had, what he could when it came to uh, the writing. Happy, yes, he's very much in the vein of the way uh, Robin played the played Popeye. Uh, Popeye, in the sense you can literally see they definitely look like father and son. But it was once again a very strange conversation they had of the whole "I'm your dad, no, I'm not your dad." Eat your spinach, no, I don't want to eat my spinach, and so on. And then eventually, when you know Popeye's finally like, "Okay, I'll eat the spinach," or I guess it's forced down his throat by Bluto, and then he gets the powers. It was it, yeah, it just everything happened just very quickly as well when it came to that. And I get they were saving that all for last; they didn't want to show Popeye eating spinach throughout the course of this to solve his problems, like when he beats Oxblood which would have been a cool moment to actually showcase the spinach, but they, I guess we're keeping it for this, for the, for the final showdown, if you will, between him and Bluto, but that didn't really work to me. And I wonder where this is normal spinach or it's like um, Asterix's ma magic potion. 
as in it's like uh, spinach. exactly also because the fact that pappy is keeping the spinach in a treasure chest either it's like the devil fruit if you will from uh, one piece where literally has magical properties or like i said like asterix's potion because if not it's like why are you why are you holding all the all the spinach or some of the spinach in a treasure chest buried it buried at the bottom of the of the ocean it just seemed a little bit odd but then again it's a kooky comic and so kooky story so of course pappy's going to have random spinach buried in a treasure chest but that that aside i think the performances were that were, were great i mean we know that ray walston is uh, is an established actor and a great actor at that and same with, with paul l smith but i would have liked a little bit more meat if you will from uh, for, especially when it comes to bluto so i agree with both you guys so uh, anything else you either of you would like to add before we get to ratings when it comes to this movie as a whole can, can we talk about the psych baby go ahead uh, I think it was hysterical how the baby has a gambling problem. He's able to pick races and tell when people's lying with a wh- when he whistles, which I thought was cute. But then at the same time, I was like, this can't end well. And the fact that he gets abducted because of his psychic powers, and they just kind of like gloss over this, that he just randomly picks horse races on a robot gambling machine or something, you know, whatever, like it reminds me of those coney island rides with the squirt guns where you spray in the holes and you watch the horses go by it's very much of that same vein but yeah this little two or three month old is psychic and i guess his mom who abandoned him didn't realize this because if she had she would have been complaining about not having money she would have straightened taken him right and at some point you would have thought she had seen some of this or heard about this like this this baby you know pulled some races and you know he's able to tell when people are lying like all these crazy things you would have thought she'd hear about this and try to get her baby back and kind of go back to popeye the baby gets abducted and Popeye's like well all right i guess i'm just gonna go back to my bed and just hang the hell out and cry like he doesn't go looking for the baby it's not a big island what the fuck pardon my sorry cursing but yeah you just you don't see it like he's just like all right i guess i lost the baby cool and he like goes back to reading a book and you're like what is happening here like for a guy who's like, you know i'm the mom and then you just don't do anything momish type of related sorry Greg. Go. well no another thing is is that that could have in you know been a bigger stakes plot that it was something like the baby knew it, you know, that's how it could have been like it's a mad 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 world like the baby knew where this treasure was and everybody from sweet haven we're sailing to find this treasure. And along the way, you know, hilarity ensues, you know, while you don't have to, while Bluto is still, you know, Popeye is, uh, uh, you know, is uh, public enemy number one because he's taken olive oil. And then you could have had the baby be kidnapped at one point. So that was such a throwaway part. Oh yeah. By the way, the baby's psychic and can predict uh, races and stuff. Um, so it was such a throwaway subplot. That these are the tools they co- they possibly could have used to make this something really special, because it was something really special without being something special. If I were to sum up how I feel about the movie, I, I think that's a, those are great points because, and, and I agree with Keith when uh, when Sweet Pea goes missing. If uh, if uh, Popeyes are like I'm a mother and all this kind of thing, and so proud of being a mother, he doesn't go around looking for his child, as you said. He's like, oh well, I guess I'll I'll, I'll see what I can do tomorrow. Go back to bed and cry. So yeah, it was rather unheroic of Popeye because other than that, he does have all the traits of of a hero uh, when it comes to to uh, to the character. But he was like. Do you even care about this child? And I and uh, so so that was that was a little bit strange. I will agree. And yeah, the whole the fact that Sweepy can can predict horse races. It was fun for what it was. And then everybody getting on in on the action. The whole oil family because now they're being taxed to death by Bluto because everything went went south when it came to Olive and um, Bluto's wedding. Like yeah, we can we need the money. Let's let, you know let's let's use this. And and then you know. We, we, that we kind of leave that plot where it goes. What I would like to see someday, this could be like a serious, intense family drama, 25 years later when Sweet Pea's mother comes looking for him. I would really like to see that because that's never been addressed <laughs> in either comics great. 
Yeah, exactly. Neither comics or anything else, because the note that she leaves is, I will be back in 25 years. So it would be kind of cool. You have like a random dark story. Like I said, those family dramas, those really sort of intense family dramas, like Sweet Pea is now, you know, uh, an accomplished young man. And somebody knocks his door. He's like, I'm your mother. And then boom, it, it always go, it all goes to hell. So it'd be something that, you know, they've done, they've done some, some interesting spins when it comes to other characters, like, you know, we we need the poo blood and honey, for example. So it'd be kind of interesting yeah. to see if sweet Pea's mother does turn up in 25 years time. That's what I want yeah. to see. Don't, don't give them any ideas, Nick. <laughs> I, I want to see sweet Pea blood and honey. That's amazing. I just want to see him. Yeah. yeah. Or rampage. Or what would it be like spinach and, and, Something spinach and guts, yeah, yeah. blood and spinach. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> we could do blood and spinach, plus with a name like Sweet Pea, which sounds so innocent, it could work for the name for a serial killer. I'm just saying, yeah. so <laughs> it's Sweet Pea. Oh my god, he's back! You know, so it's, it's all fear to... of the Sweet Pea. No, are they all running for the hills? Exactly, Sorry, so, gone on a tangent. Yeah, exactly. We certainly have. So, ringing it back in, getting to ratings, then. Keith, what do you give Popeye out of 10? Um, I- I'm going to have to give it, like, it's going to skate by on the passing scale. It's going to be a, a 6.5. It's good enough. It's not great. I can watch it once in a blue moon. And that stupid Sweet Haven song is stuck in my head, by the way, Greg. So I guess uh, apologies for the earworm I, there. I've hummed that song in the shower many times. <laughs> Well, there you go. So that and that, see, there you go. And that, that that song definitely worked as an earworm for you, Greg. And speaking yes. of you, what do you give this movie? Well, I'm actually going to give it a good grade of a seven because it's a film, and if you look at it as the film, the production design is great, the cinematography is great, the costumes are great, the performances are great, and the direction is great. So, who am I to fail it or to give it a low, low grade? But seven, it, you know, it doesn't really deserve an eight because eight. To me, from eight on is a classic, you know, but seven is is a little bit above average. So I'll give it a seven. And hey, if you are a major fan of Popeye, although Popeye is one of those franchises that kind of fell by the wayside these days. It isn't really like he like Scooby-Doo where it just stayed so significant. Don't even ask me how Scooby-Doo did, but it did. Uh, but Popeye really isn't that these days. But if for some reason... Hey, if you're a Robin Williams fan, and he, of course, over the years, still gets the, the fan, the fandom. I mean, he still has a huge fan following. So if you're a Robin Williams fan, or if you're a fan in general of musicals, um, or a film buff, there might be much for you to enjoy here. So I would say a seven. Don't expect it to become your favorite film, but expect maybe to admire it a little bit, as I do. Well, I think you and I are actually in sync on this one, Greg, because I'm also going to give this a seven out of ten because of what it did achieve and uh, you know what it did do when it came to, like I said, our characters looking literally like they jumped off the page of the comics or right out of the screen from the TV show. So I will give them that. And of course, it helps, as I've as I've mentioned numerous times on this podcast, the fact of having such talented actors at your disposal to bring these characters in in the flesh. And of course, you know, it's it's Robert Altman and of course it's Pfeiffer writing and all. So you do have a great team working on this. So it wasn't amazing, and I'm not gonna go out and buy the Blu-ray tomorrow, but I'm glad I saw it. And I'm glad that now I know this movie exists. And uh plus, I guess, kind of obviously be or having been a fan of, of Robin Williams for the longest time, I was kind of glad that now I can say I've seen this one as well. Because of course, you know, he's a, he was one, a one of a kind actor and we still miss him to his, to this day. And I don't think there'll ever be anybody like Robin, to be honest, when it comes to just the genius that he was at his craft. So, uh, so I, I definitely appreciate that. And of course it made me smile seeing him on screen again. So I'll give it a seven myself. So getting to recommendations then gentlemen, Greg, what do you uh, recommend to folks who uh, want to explore more outside of this Popeye movie? Well, what I wanted to say first is, isn't it funny how Robin Williams and Christopher Reeve were best friends and one played Popeye and one played Superman? Uh, I just think that's incredibly cute and endearing. Um, okay, so for a pseudo-recommendation, this is a pseudo-recommendation, would be the original Flintstones movie with John Goodman. Because I think if it's re-evaluated today, 
it certainly is not as good of a film as Popeye. Um, but if you're appreciative of filmmakers working together, especially you know, Steven Spielberg was involved in getting that one together. However, if you want to look at it from a different point of view and a different perspective, uh, with the exception of possibly one very miscast actress in that, I think you all know who I'm talking about. Um, it, it, the, the production design, the cinematography, the direction and the performances and the just capturing something that for years you could be picturing how it would look if it was real. I think Popeye and the Flintstones are, are kind of on par there in that respect. However, as a comedy film, you guys might be surprised, but what Popeye could have done for a feature film of Popeye, I believe the original SpongeBob SquarePants movie did. You're in a very similar setting uh, with SpongeBob SquarePants than you are with, you know, Bikini Bottom is Sweet Haven and, you know, it's, it's aquatic. Um, but I think SpongeBob SquarePants was a feature film. And I'm not huge on the cartoon. I was way too, uh, I was too old by the time SpongeBob came out. But the, the, the film is whimsical, fun, and there's a reason for it to exist. It is not a feature film for the sake of a feature film. It is, it's, the SpongeBob TV show, and it, it's sort of like how with the Simpsons movie, there was nothing about it that warranted for me to pay to see that in a theater. But with SpongeBob SquarePants, it did everything Popeye should have done and the Simpsons movie should have done. It is a great, fun, feat, uh, cinematic adventure that I think people would enjoy, especially if they enjoyed Popeye. Very well said. I will say when it comes to the Flintstones movie, as a um, a young boy, literally um, hormonally just all over the place, Halle Berry very much kind of did it for me, if you will. So that's a rather superficial comment on my part. But I will say there's a lot of us probably teenage boys in the audience were kind of like, hello, Halle Berry. And so <laughs> there was that. But uh, I um, I, won't, I actually went to the, was taken to the theater to see, to see the first Flintstones movie. So yeah, it was part of my uh, my young child, my, my childhood, it, if you will. Uh, I do feel it needs a little revaluation. It's not great by any means, but I do feel it's a little bit better and people give it credit for. And of course, the miscast I'm talking about there was Rosie O'Donnell. Hmm. She's no Betty. I mean, she might have had the laugh down, which is how they claim she was cast. I think she was cast because she was a very hot commodity at the time. They're like, throw Rosie in this. But she's no Betty Rumble. <laughs> <laughs> nope. I'm right there with you. And uh, uh, Keith, uh, what would you like to recommend? Um, let's see. <laughs> Uh, well, I was going to go kind of down the same rabbit hole Greg did, but I'm going to go in a, a weird, different direction. I'm going to recommend One Piece, the animated TV or the animated, the live action TV show that was on Netflix. It kind of has that same kind of slapstickery that we've been talking about, um, especially when he does all of his gum gum attacks and just the, the crazy over the top uh, locations that they have. So I, I think One Piece, the live action and even one piece the cartoon anime i'm gonna get crap from everybody for this one the anime while i will say it is only like eleven thousand episodes a good thousand of them or two thousand of them are filler and you can skip over but the same kind of um over the top it reminds me of popeye in certain respects if that makes any sense so uh, i think they're Good parallels, while not exactly the same. I, I think if you like one, you will probably like um, One Piece. Granted, if you're older, like the three of us, some of the jokes may not land, but I think overall, it's a good, fun story for everybody. Very well said, indeed. I'm actually going to add, you know, speaking of uh, these kind of more whimsical, fun kind of comics, if you want to check something out, I mean, there are tons of Omni, Omnibuy when it comes to um, Popeye stories, and uh, you know you can definitely get your get your get your paws on those. I will also add, if you've never checked it out, check out the Asterix comics because they have that same kind of spirit that the Popeye strips do. Obviously, it's a completely different setting, and it's in completely different characters and what have you. But the concept is very much there where you have Popeye and the spinach and there you have Asterix and the magic potion. And 
I love those comics dearly. Asterix was actually my first, shall we say, comic book character that was that was, was has always been a favorite of mine. I've, I love to death. And so, folks, if you've never checked those out, check out uh, the Asterix comics for sure. Don't check out the movies. They are horrible. But uh, other than that, definitely check out the, the, the comics for sure. So, of course, dear listeners, if you want to share your thoughts on the movies we discuss here, you can do so by shooting us an email in either audio or written form to happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. Once again, that email is happinessanddarknesshow at gmail.com. You can also show your support by giving us a like on Facebook, where you'll find us as Happiness and Darkness, or you can follow us on X, formerly known as Twitter, we're at High Darkness Pod. Also, if you are listening to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, be sure to give us a rating and review as this helps the show grow, allows us to reach more like-minded ears like yourselves, and of course, keeps that algorithm happy and stimulated. And a big thank you to those who have done that, and a future thank you to those who will. So, uh, Greg, when you're not here discussing movies such as uh, Popeye, where can folks find you on the ever-vast interwebs? All right. Well, I'll start with social media. So my name, my last name is, it's Greg with one G at the end, G-R-E-G. Last name is spelled V as in Victor, O-R-O-B as in boy. Believe it or not, Keith even grew up hearing that spelling every single day. V as in Victor, O-R-O-B as in boy. You can find me on Facebook at that name. If you are a mutual friend of anyone I do podcasts with, Nick and and Keith uh, uh, included, um, I will definitely accept you without any trepidation. But you know what? I pretty much accept friends because I assume they've heard me on podcasts. And I only get rid of said friends if I find out that, sorry, they're a bot. They are not a podcast listener. Uh, more times than not, though, I will just assume you are. And boom, you're my friend on Facebook. Over on X, formerly Twitter, or as Keith said, whatever Elon Musk wants to call it this week, I am Greg underscore Vorob. On YouTube, find me at Greg Vorob. You can see a bunch of my acting stuff. Most of the stuff that's on there is stuff that I did with All Things Random Productions, which was myself and Dan Conrad. So it's all our projects up there. One missing film for like the past, I don't know, decade is getting back on there real soon. And we have Marty and Doug's New Religion on there, which is first now after existing since 2010, starting to get some views. So thank you, everybody who has viewed that. And on the podcast end, it's Star Trek, the Undiscovered Podcast. If you are a Star Trek fan, you will find much to love of Star Trek, the Undiscovered Podcast. I'm not saying that. The listeners are saying that. I co-host that with Dan Holly, Dan Martin, and Ken Radner. And we are going to begin season two is going to drop, as the kids say these days, on February 2nd, 2024, which is just a couple months away, folks. But you can check out the 24 episodes of the First season plus a bunch of bonus shows that we did. There's 24 episodes that you guys could check out. So check that out, folks. And thank you, as usual, for having me on. Oh, it was definitely a pleasure. And yes, folks, definitely be sure to check out the back catalog of, of Star Trek, the Undiscovered podcast. And uh, like Greg said, there's a new season to look forward to as well. And uh, Keith, where can folks find you? Well, when I'm not here talking about all things I don't know, comic book movie related. I'm on another podcast. I apologize. I just had a stroke, listeners. I said, when I'm not here on this podcast, I'm on another podcast talking about just comic books. It is called The Hour of Comics is Upon Us. It's with John Seymour and Jason Gurren. We're on a little bit of a hiatus right now with the holidays and everything, but we should be ramping back up shortly in another couple of weeks. You guys can find us on Facebook, YouTube, Spotify, all the major fun platforms. Uh, again, it is the hour of comics is upon us. And I'm also on our Facebook page. You guys can drop a comment on our any of our posts or even message us directly. I'm usually game for a conversation or two with anybody. Fantastic stuff. And there you go again, folks. Uh, another great uh, back catalog of, of, uh, of uh, episodes to listen to when it comes to the hour of comics is upon us while we wait for uh, the, the, the guys to come back. 
When it comes to me, if you can find me at my day job hosting the radio show Whiskey and Cigarettes, where we play the very best and nothing but the best of country music for you guys, from Alabama to Zach Brown. And for more information about that and where to tune in, you can visit our website, which is whiskeyandcigarettesshow.com. Podcast-wise, you can also find myself and those two lovely ladies who answer the names of Zan Sprouse and Rachel Friend on Gold Standard, the Oscars podcast. We're reviewing all the movies that won the Oscar for Best Picture. And uh, we actually, uh, this week, as of uh, as of this recording, tomorrow, actually, we will be reviewing Green Book. So definitely look forward to that. And last but certainly not least, uh, myself and Charles Skaggs can be found on the Fandom Zone podcast. We review all sorts of superhero TV shows. We wrapped up our review of the second season of Loki, and we'll be coming back next month to review Echo, which is will, of course, be the new MCU TV show. And speaking of things to come on this show, folks, next time we'll be taking on the 2013 Gore Verbinski film. Yes, that Gore Verbinski, The Lone Ranger. So first off, Greg, on behalf of myself and Keith, thank you so much for joining us today. It's always a pleasure to have you on. We look forward to having you uh, grace the podcast soon. Thank you so much. I guess I'll see you next time The Dark Knight shows up. (laughs) Yes, indeed. So, uh, Keith... Anything else you would like to add on either our next movie or in general before we sign off? Um, no, uh, this next movie is definitely going to be a struggle for me. I will admit that now, and I apologize <laughs> to our listeners later. <laughs> Fair enough. Granted, okay, the premise is here. We've got Gore Verbinski and Johnny Depp. So what could go wrong? <laughs> I know, right? It should be amazing. That should be like Oscar winning. It should have made billions of dollars at the movies. They should have just literally printed money. <laughs> oh my god you guys have to watch army hammer is that mm-hmm. him isn't that him oh boy. It is. army hammer it is indeed <laughs> army hammer so so we have a lot to look forward to folks as wacky <laughs> as wacky month on the, on the happiness and darkness continues with the lone ranger until then thank you so much for the privilege of your time stay super ciao mommy Thank <laughs> you.